0: Hey everyone, I'm your host, Alex Taylor, co-founder of Parallel. Welcome to Parallel Lives, a podcast where we learn about the tireless yet vibrantly challenging role the women we admire most live in parallel to their careers and personal pursuits, becoming and being a mom. Today's guest is my friend, Kelly Levesque. Kelly is a certified holistic nutritionist, wellness expert, and celebrity health coach. And she's also an old friend of mine. It's been such an honor to see her build her brand, and also shift into her new role as a mom in our chat today we talk about all things from her postpartum experience and her birth story to hypnobirthing caring for herself and adjusting to her new role as a mom while also running a business i hope you enjoy our chat hi kelly thank you
1: so much for being on the pod today you're welcome. This is so it's been so fun to have been friends. And, since way back when you were at click, and then yeah. to watch you create this amazing company, like in the midst of having your own babies. And just it's amazing what <laughs> women start to do once they become moms. They're like, Oh, let's well, let me put a few more things on my plate. And I'm so glad you decided to add this podcast. Oh, thank you. And likewise,
0: It's been so fun to watch you build your brand over all of these years since pre-baby days. And you've just become such an important voice in the wellness conversation. I don't go to the grocery store without checking if it's, you know, Be Well by Kelly approved. So (laughs) thank you for all the work that you do. And while we get to hear a lot about, um, you know, your area of expertise and your business and your amazing books, I thought today we could talk a little bit more about another role. That you have full-time and that's being a mom. And um, I thought we'd just start out with a really simple question. You know, did you always know that you wanted to be a mom?
1: Oh yeah. I had American girl dolls growing up and Barbies and my mom was a stay-at-home mom of three little girls. And like there were just these amazing moments um, in my childhood where my mom was just, she took that job so seriously and was so involved in my, in my childhood that. Yeah yeah, I mean, I was raised in that type of a family where that's what I wanted to do. And that's like even thinking about like their career choices I made, like getting into pharmaceutical sales, my first job out of college, I was thinking like, this is a great mom job because yeah. you could drop your kids off and like go see the doctors and then pick your kids up. <laughs> like yeah. I was, You
0: like, always were thinking about that role being part of your life. That's so interesting.
1: I love that. Beyond And it's still like very much just, I don't like absorbs me as a, even in my work life, like it's, it's this, it's what I it's how I was taught. It's all I knew. It's, you know, and it, it, it allowed me, I mean, it just changed me as a human being. I'm very thankful for my mom for that example. So it sounds like the idea of being a
0: mom has always been part of your world and your mindset and you've kind of crafted your life understanding that be part of your path. But were there ever periods where you didn't see yourself having kids or didn't understand how kids could fit into your life? Because from the sidelines here, watching you build your platform, you were so busy. And I remember you're writing your books and you had your clients and uh, your whole digital business. So how did you kind of reconcile the idea of fitting
1: children into that, that lifestyle and, and, did it scare you? It absolutely scared me. And it delayed when I had children. Um, for people who know my story, I married my husband, Chris. We met in 2007. We got married in 2012. And about six month, uh, months after we got married, he quit the law firm. And he had been a lawyer for about seven years. And... Um, I supported him to take a year off to write a screenplay and pitch it in Hollywood. And he's a phenomenal writer. He helped co-write both of my books um, to make sure that my, I mean, if you follow me online, you know, my spelling and grammar is just horrendous sometimes. And he thankfully is the opposite of me in that regard. Um, <laughs> but since that point until today, um, I was, I'm the sole breadwinner of my family. And so yeah. I, I don't think we, Chris and I had planned for him to turn into um, to become our stay at home dad um, in the way that he has. And it's not definitely forever. He has major uh, career aspirations, but yeah, it's crazy to think like that he is able to live that life and support our family in that way but it definitely in the beginning was really scary to think about because i was an hourly empo- employee i was yeah. seeing person yeah. for an hour. i mean i worked with you like you yeah, know you'd see, see someone from <laughs> see someone for an hour of, and you're like i only have so many hours in the day here so how do i reach more people and how do i do bigger things um and Luckily, I have a business background that allowed me to understand I needed to do that, but it really pushed back kids. I do wish that I wasn't as scared. I wish that I maybe tried to get pregnant earlier, but then I have those thoughts and say, I wouldn't have had Sebastian. I wouldn't have had Toshin. I Everything in its perfect timing, and I have to trust the timing of my life because if I had really felt called to have kids prior to when I did, I would have done it. Yeah.
0: But did you, you know, when you got pregnant with Bash, was it, did you, were you intentional about your timing? How did you approach that? Did you kind of wake up one day from your, the blur of your career and say, I'm ready or tell me a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, um, well, the timing was that I didn't want to be pregnant on tour on my book tour. Um, So I got my book deal. And then I wrote that book for a year and a half. And then it was published. And then I knew it was going to take three to six months to go on tour for it. So I told Chris, we can get pregnant, you know, while I'm on tour, or like right after, like that just seemed to be the right timing. I think if I hadn't had the book, I would have gotten pregnant, maybe, you know, a year prior, a year earlier, or something, I ended up getting and and I've said this I think on a maybe one other podcast. But Sebastian's a rainbow baby for us, so I had a miscarriage before Sebastian. So we got pregnant halfway through my. Um, that's okay. I we got pregnant halfway through my tour. We get pregnant pretty quickly, but you know it's it's the chances at my age to have a miscarriage one in three, you know, and I think people always think it's not going to be them, but, um, we did. And so then we tried again, you know, I, I went through the whole. And how did, how did
0: you cope with that? Because, you know, for us, it's really important to share those stories and normalize those conversations. Um, you know, many of us have miscarried myself included my co-founder, um, you know, and it's something that's really important to us to just talk about. Do you mind just sharing a little bit more about kind of the circumstances? Like, did you have a a support system in place when you, when you found out that you had miscarried? How did you handle that?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I have phenomenal friends and my family, like I was telling you about my mom really are really supportive people. So many women go through this, like, as you said, um, it's, I know I never want, it's like, there's never perfect timing. You don't want someone's first pregnancy to be a miscarriage because you want, you want them to have the joys of like all those uh, of being pregnant without the fear of losing a baby. Um, And I definitely took the fear of losing a baby into Sebastian's birth. I didn't share with any, anyone that we were pregnant with Sebastian. Um, You know, he was born in October and I told my parents Easter weekend, which is like basically almost twenty weeks. I didn't announce it socially until I was like in my third trimester. Like there were definitely looking back, I was enjoying my pregnancy. I was so happy. I felt amazing. Um, I really liked being pregnant, but I know that there were some fears that I had around, like, is this a viable pregnancy? You know, and, and just rightfully so you also don't, You know, you'd also don't want someone to have a healthy pregnancy and then have a miscarriage because then they're going in thinking like they just have healthy pregnancies. Yeah, it's never like, there's never a good time for a miscarriage. Yeah, no, absolutely
0: not. But you had a support network, it sounds like with your family, obviously, Chris, your friends. I know you have your sisters. You're very lucky to have them be so close. That's so important. I think, you know, a lot of us don't share about the miscarriage until after the fact. And sometimes it's the first time those closest to us are even finding out we were pregnant. So it's sometimes a lot to process, but, um, you know, trying to find when is that right time to share, even though we know there's always risk, you know, and, and my co-founder, you know, she was talking with her doctor at her 20 week scan with her daughter. She had this sigh of relief. The baby's going to be okay, but the doctor kind of chuckled and said, listen, you know, Every week there's risk, you know, just because you're getting past the 20 week scan doesn't mean you're scot-free and we forget that, you
1: know, it's, you never know what's going to happen. Um, yeah, it's like, it's, it's, it's interesting because I didn't tell my family, I did tell my family that I miscarried. That's how I told them that I was pregnant. was like, I called them after I called my family after that appointment and I said, we are pregnant. It doesn't look like we might be pregnant for very much longer um and i was still on tour because we got pregnant halfway through that tour my first book tour and so i remember um you know talking to my doctor and they said you know the baby you know this baby will pass naturally and i felt like i didn't want to wait for that process because i was I like just wanted to like move on. I um, mean, it had already been like a few days of like waiting. And after they confirmed that I had had a miscarriage, I was like, I'd like to just like move on and start over. And like, this feels really like heavy for me. Um, and I remember my doctor giving me um, the medication to induce, um, to induce bleeding and to, to pass um, the baby. And I, took it and I, I had to take it and then it didn't work. And it was 48 hours later and I had already, and I had taken it and I was going on the doctors to promote my book after taking this medication, it not working, like calling my doctor being like, I, if I'm going to start hemorrhaging like on stage on live like on a taped television show in Los Angeles, Yeah. On lot. Like this is this is heavy for me. Like I need to schedule a DNC. Like I can't I can't keep waiting. And I think there is that period of time that people don't talk about either when it isn't just like you get to move on the minute you're told that you miscarried. There's this period of mourning and there's this period of of also being with that baby and just that isn't yeah.
0: Yeah, I think You bring up such a good point. And you know, right now there's a conversation on the national stage about, you know, paid leave for loss. You know, you need to process that. It's important to have that space. And I can't imagine what an impossible situation that must have felt like, especially being in the spotlight on in such a crucial time in your career. That's insanely challenging. But you know, to to fast forward a little bit, you ended up having your rainbow baby, Mr. Bash. He's just the cutest and <laughs> his name and Thank he has you. the best style. Bash had quite the entrance into, into our world. <laughs> Taking yeah. one step back before we get to that, how was your pregnancy? How did you feel throughout it? Obviously, I think everyone's going to want to know, like, what did you do to prepare your
1: body? <laughs> yeah. Um, So – Interestingly enough, after we miscarried, I knew I wanted to take a beat to really get in a place where I felt strong in my body. Again, I was consistently working out, not flying on airplanes because there's only so much like hotel workouts and hotel gyms you can get, you know, get to. So I, so I actually took my body back to a place. There's some really interesting fertility information on getting to a place where you're, um, Fat adapted, um, so it's almost like being in a ketogenic state where you can become metabolically flexible, where you can burn fat and burn sugar, and that takes kind of going into tightening blood sugar balance and getting to a low carb state where you then dip into your fat stores for fuel. So I wanted to become metabolically flexible. There's some really interesting research coming out of Florida showing that that improves fertility and egg quality, and so I part I personally wanted to just like reset body reset, pull, pull the processed sugars, like take a take a break on on the wine and like just um, not that wine happens all the time. But I was in that period of time where I would finished my book tour and we were right in the holidays. And so I was like, okay, let's take a breather on this. Let's get metabolically flexible again. And, um, and so I got pregnant really quickly with Sebastian that we tried in January and, and then we found out we were pregnant with him. So, um, so it was, it was an easy to get pregnant. And I just kind of sort of took that beat to get strong again, eat the way that I like to eat, um, and kind of prepare my body that way. Um, yeah. Okay.
0: And quick question on the metabolic flexibility. Do you have anything on your website about that? Because I think that would be fascinating to share in the show notes. I'm sure people would love to learn more about that.
1: Um, what we could probably do, I don't have it. I don't have that. the Florida research shared on my website, but I could probably um, pull together a little write up for you on exactly what's happening. Um, but basically what we find it's when you look at a high carbohydrate diet and a high insulin diet, it can affect sex hormones. And um, in the same way that insulin resistance is um, manifesting itself in ovaries, that's PCOS. It's sort of the same sort of situation when you can balance blood sugar and keep um, blood sugar balance and insulin um, coming up and flowing down, flowing out of the bloodstream at the same rate, you just have better fertility. So I really like to do that. That's why I like when I have clients who have PCOS and they're told they can't get pregnant naturally. I'm like, let's just take a beat. Let's test your blood sugar. Let's look at your diet. Let's see what we can do here. And um, that's, that's my superpower. Not that I can get people pregnant, but that we can look at diet and blood sugar and make sure it's dialed in for fertility. And if you do have a fertility issue, then we obviously will outsource you to someone who yeah. can support you through that. That's
0: um, so interesting though. That's fascinating. So you got pregnant with him easily,
1: which is fabulous. And then how was the pregnancy? Really awesome. Like I felt great. I don't, you know, I think for most people who get pregnant, um, the first time around, it's very different than the second time around. I don't think I popped until, you know, more than halfway through. And I was like, finally like, Ooh, this is this is great. I still had my ab strength. And so I had no, la- no low back pain. I was just working out, doing yoga, having fun. Um, and yeah, and that all came to a screeching halt, halt on his birthday.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. So did you go into labor naturally? What happened?
1: Oh no. I was that girl doing Insta stories about like trying the salad from the valley that was supposed to induce labor and, um, you know, doing the stairs at the San- the Santa Monica stairs to have him hopefully come on out. He was 42 weeks. So it was it was 41 and 6. So a day later he would have been 42 weeks. And um yeah. So he came out pretty big. (laughs) (laughs) Boy. (laughs) Yeah, he was eight nine. Um and he was born vaginally, but um uh I ended up I did end up going into labor naturally. I wasn't induced um but it was late and And I labored at home for 12 hours. And then I went to the hospital and they checked me and I was seven centimeters dilated with a bulging bag. And they kicked on the baby warmer. I said, you're in transition, we're gonna have this baby tonight. And then four hours went by and I had totally stalled out. So I had no progression past that. and my doctor said, you're just in a lot of pain. I think your body's kind of holding on to this. This hypnobirthing thing you did is not really working.
0: <laughs> Tell me more about the hypnobirthing. What's that about?
1: So hypnobirthing is, um, well, it's uh, this movement that is supposed, supposed to help you have a, have a natural labor. It's You can get yourself in a meditative state. The problem with hypnobirthing is, is you have to do these like meditations or kind of like hypnotic meditations leading up to your labor. You can't just, can't just decide to do hypnobirthing the day of like, so I, I, my doula at the time, um, Nina, who was amazing, came to our house a couple of times. So like, Practice hypnobirthing, but we were supposed to listen to the tapes like every single night to get yourself in this state. And I um, didn't do my homework, so it didn't really work for me. <laughs> and in hindsight, I should have done the Bradley method because it's really scientific. It explains what's happening in the body and how you're progressing through transition and what's like what's physically happening. I think if I education and not education for me and the knowledge that I have in science is really freeing. It actually makes me feel really safe. And so I think that had I done it that way, it might've been a different story, but maybe it still would have been the same exact exact labor. I don't know. Um, I ultimately at that point at the 16 hour mark, ended up getting an epidural um, to see if I could calm my body to fully transition, totally dilate to 10 and try to push naturally because I didn't have a strict, like a 20 page labor plan. It was just like, Hey, I'd really love to try to have a baby without an epidural. So I can get up and move around if I want so that I don't, I'm not bed bound. I had scientifically, I have no problem with an epidural. I think people assume that I, that I think that there's something wrong with an epidural and that that's completely false. I don't. I have no problem with an epidural. Um, I wanted the experience of getting, I, in, in a weird way, I wanted the experience of the pain because I know the back end of pain is these amazing amount of endorphins and, um, oxytocin. And like, I would get my own drugs if that makes sense. of
0: course, of course. I mean, mother nature has programmed us in in a way to get these babies out. So, yeah.
1: So I sort of wanted that. (laughs) Um, I know I still got it anyways, maybe not at the level I was looking for but um but yes I ultimately ended up getting that getting an epidural and I wasn't um I wasn't checked so that was like at one in the morning twelve thirty or one in the morning and I wasn't checked until the next morning at like eight in the morning and I was so far along and so looking back um my doctor was in a private practice on her own and it wasn't a group. And so it wasn't like someone else in the practice was checking on me. It was uh, the nurses were checking on me. And so my doctor came back that next morning, right before she got there, they checked me and they said, yeah, you're 10 centimeters dilated. We're going to get going to push. There were no signs of distress, really. Maybe like one time the nurse turned me over in the middle of the night. Um, In hindsight, I've had a lot of people tell me that was an exorbitant amount of time and that I should have been checked, being that I got to the hospital. I thought that was odd too. That's a long time to go without being checked. At like basically 7 30 or 8, and being seven centimeters dilated. And looking back, I had major chills, major like body shakes happening in the middle of the night, which is an indication that you're like ready to push. But I had such a strong epidural that. I think I was probably ready for a really long time and bash was just stuck in my vaginal canal. And, um, so I ended up pushing for four hours. You're kidding me. Every single capillary in my face was broken. My, oh, there was God. no whites of my eyes. It was all bloodshot. I looked like I looked like I had like been in a boxing ring in Las Vegas. Like Holy cow. Have, how did you keep up your energy for that long? I think I was just like on I don't know. I mean like I was kind of like in a different state, but he was born vaginally, but then when he was born, he came out with meconium and he was gray. Oh. And yeah. so I looked at Chris and he was obviously in shock and really scared and they took him immediately off my chest and put a tube down his throat to ensure that he wasn't going to aspirate any meconium, which, you know, is a sign that there was distress. And, um, and his Apgar was horrible, <laughs> which is really obviously hard. It's like, I think he was like a, z- a zero or a one or something like um, when he was first born, cause he was not responsive. And then it was like a six, so they'd sent him to the NICU, and I had chosen St. John's because I wanted, like, a community-feeling hospital. Yeah, of course. In Santa Monica, right? Mm-hmm. But in hindsight, I probably would have chosen Cedar sinai because had I chosen Cedar sinai my son would, would not have been put in an ambulance and driven across to Children's Hospital Los Angeles with my husband. So... Um- God, Because they don't have a NICU at because same they job. have a level two NICU, not a level three or four. So Cedar Sinai would have had the capability of putting Sebastian on a cooling pad, which is what they ended up doing. So what they initially how does thought the cooling was, pad help with the swallowing of that? So it wasn't for that. Um, when they when he ultimately was at the NICU, they finally you know when they got me all sewed up and they put me in a wheelchair, they rolled me instead of to postpartum, they rode me to the NICU where Chris and Sebastian were, and Sebastian was. And He was had a million tubes and IVs going into his body. He was already in a transfer unit in a glass box. I held him for maybe 15 seconds of his life before he left me an hour and a half later.
0: Oh my God. Also, yeah. the thought of getting pushed, to, not only your newborn child, but yourself getting moved into the back of an ambulance and going across town, I cannot imagine how traumatic that must have been.
1: Yeah. So I wasn't allowed to leave the hospital. Chris and Sebastian left me at CHLA. Wow. Oh so my God. yeah, so it's a pretty heavy story. So they said to me, um, you know, he has a hematoma sort of on the back of his head. And so at first it was like, we didn't want him to aspirate meconium. And it was like, I wasn't getting clear converse. No one was being clear with me about what was happening. I think they were trying to protect me as the mom. And then they were like, there's um, you know, some bruising that we're worried about on his head. And then it was like, look, we think he might have had oxygen deprivation during labor, which means he needs to be put on a cooling pad, and he needs to get on one as soon as possible and be on it for um, basically three days. And what that does is if he's had oxygen deprivation, the first injury is the deprivation. And the second injury is when the brain swells. And when the brain swells, and it isn't the body isn't cooled, it's not like they cool the body to 70 degrees, it's a few degrees below normal, like, Um, I think like it was like 96, I'm just uh, three years ago now. I don't know exactly what the degree was, but it's a very small amount, but enough to prevent that type of brain swelling that can cause significant damage. And so then after they cool a baby for about three days, they rewarm them slowly over time. They do an MRI and then they're able to tell you what's wrong with your child. Oh my god! So you're waiting for three days while they do this process. I can't touch him because I'll warm his body. I'm not with him. So he, Chris goes to CHLA in an ambulance. It takes them like close to an hour to get across town. Um, he gets there and the doctors are like, here's all the things that could be wrong with your son. We think that he'll have a severe form of cerebral palsy from brain injury. He may not be able to walk. He may not be able to talk. He may not be able to feed himself. Um oh you know, and they just are like laying it all out to him and his brother. Thankfully we have like amazing family. His brother like got in the car from work in Santa Monica, drove directly to CHLA to meet Chris, like spent the night with him there, like was there, like basically holding Chris up. And I was at St. John's and my sister ended up being able to like come into postpartum and be there and stay the night with me. Um, but I mean, like it was so traumatic, like they, the nurses came in and they were like, we need you to start hand expressing immediately because this type of traumatic birth and most often the mom's milk doesn't come in, you know? And I'm of course thinking like, cannot like, imagine like you were going through. I made these decisions that I needed to like labor at home for a little while, or that I like wanted to push off an epidural. And like, in hindsight, I would have like maybe labored at home for a few hours, gotten my epidural the minute I got there, pushed out a healthy baby, like been tracked the whole time, you know, but you can live in this place of like hindsight is 2020 and everyone needs to make decisions based on the information that they have. Of course. You did the best with
0: what you had and you know, you can't, you can't foresee these types of things you know totally. you did everything you you were supposed to do so oh my god so you're there at saint john's hospital Your hand expressing your yeah. baby as a your
1: infant is across town i don't even know what he looks like chris like i basically like saw him for a second in the nicu there like i didn't i saw the top of his head when he's on my chest then i saw his face in a glass or a plastic box Then he was gone. And I was like, Chris, please send me a picture. Like, I need to see a picture. Like, I need to see a picture. And so when Chris got there, he was like sending me pictures. And the next day, I was like get me the F out of here. Like, I don't care if I have to walk out and not sign paperwork. Like I'm leaving. And like, they were, you know, you know how long it takes to get out of the oh, yeah. hospital the day you have a child. I'm like, I am like ready to ship someone. I'm like, could not, not imagine it out of
0: yes. here. <laughs> Mom, six, uh, yeah.
1: And so like my sister-in-law was there. My sisters were there. My best friend Angela was there. Like people were there. They rallied around me. They like got me out of there. They like put me in the car. They drove me across town. And then Chris and I were basically staying in hotel in glendale for two weeks and going to chla every single day and i was like walking from and we would be at that hotel to like shower and maybe we were there for four hours and then we were back in the in the NICU room with sebastian so we went through the period of him being cooled for three days rewarmed and then he got his mri and um and i remember like having meetings with the doctors leading up to that. And it was just, you know, it was just like really scary, like feeling a massive amount of guilt, feeling like Mm -hmm. so much pain. I can't can't even imagine that I like moved actually through that pain looking back on it. I like, have had, I've had to have, have like trauma release therapy. So I was going to say, have you done
0: some therapy to support that? I had an incident with my daughter recently and I've been struggling with PTSD. And so you, you worked with someone to get through all of this.
1: I did six months of like, um, family loss therapy just because it felt like a, like, it's just like, I almost experienced losing a child. I can't compare it to that at all, but like, it was just like, it was, that was the person that was, that I was referred to. Yeah. You went there mentally too. Yeah. And so then, um, and then I ended up seeing Dr. Will Sue, who's amazing. Um, he's a trauma release therapist and it was more of, we don't, experience the pain that we feel we try to rationalize it talk about it and talking is great but we hold a lot of this pain and trauma in our bodies and then it makes us react in certain ways and I was really worried about getting pregnant the second time around yeah carrying that and worrying about the health of my child and having fears about our labor and I definitely still had fears around those things but I was in I think way 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 better place um you know, I think people can look at our story and say, okay, so you got the MRI and then you got the results. And we basically got, basically got the results that there was some blood b- brain bleeding based on a traumatic labor. Like I was pushing so hard. I was pushing him up against my pelvis and it's like he got his first concussion and he came out stunned and he and it, it was like a three month period of that brain blood bruise being reabsorbed and healed by the body. Um, but they tracked him because he was cool. They they tracked him like a, a brain, like an oxygen deprivation case, um, because it was in that way. They can't 100% confirm that he didn't have any form of oxygen deprivation. But based on our based on our MRI, it was like brain bleeding versus brain um, versus brain cell death, because brain cell death is what happens in oxygen deprivation. So. Children are really resilient. Their brains are super plastic. Um, The plasticity is amazing. So as they're learning, sometimes parts of the brain aren't, um, you know, if they have died or they've had trauma, they actually connect neurons around the parts that don't work. Um, Whereas like adults who are stroke victims, that plasticity isn't there. So there's very little that you can do to rebound from something like a stroke versus a child who learns and grows around it, which is really amazing. Um, So all that to say, we were one of the very, 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 very lucky ones, like the one percenters who have this type of scare and diagnosis and have a completely healthy child on the other end of it. Oh my gosh. Um, But it totally changed my parenting. I took six months off of work. I, I, I don't sweat the small stuff. Like, it's like yeah. when people are when people are like, Oh, my kids not walking yet, or they're not talking yet. Or, you know, we're having major sleep issues, which hi, I'm raising my hand. That's me with all my children, because I'm a nighttime pushover. But um, or I'm just like, they need me, you know, and Chris isn't after going every, with, through everything with bash, Chris isn't like, No, you can't do that. You can't go in there. Um, I'm, I'm, I just want to like cuddle and save up, you know? Of course, Um, course. but it sounds like you had a total shift
0: in your perspective so quickly out of the gate and during such a massive transition in your life, the biggest transition yet, right? Becoming a mom and that whole identity shift and new responsibility and new body, new brain, everything is rewired post baby. And I mean, you definitely poured some, you know, fire starter on that fire so speak. Yeah. wild so how did you get through that what was that postpartum phase like you did you immediately start working with someone to
1: work through the trauma pretty soon after. I mean, I think that that's really, really important. I remember it had been like a week or maybe eight days of like being home with Sebastian. We brought him home on, um, on Halloween. Um, so he was born on the 16th and we bought him, brought him home on Halloween and Chris and family and friends were like bringing food over. And I hadn't really like done anything by myself in the first eight or nine days. And Chris was like, I ordered burger lounge. It's on San Vicente. We live on Montana and Barrington. This is like the shortest walk ever. You're going by yourself to pick it up for us. We love Chris. For that. You are not I walking, you're not walking around the neighborhood with me and Bash. You're leaving Sebastian in this house, in this apartment, and you are going across the street five minutes. And I got in line and I had my phone and I remember Googling. Um, emotional trauma for children who are not with their parents in the first few days postpartum, and of course, there's a study. <laughs> of, yeah, course, of course, of <laughs> course. Um, and I lost it. Like I like read it, and then I was in line, and I grabbed our food, and I turned around to walk out the door, and I just broke down, ugly cry. Like I think if anyone saw me, even the neighborhood was would have been like whoa, that girl is like going through something. Like I just, there was no, nothing holding it back. Like it just poured out of me. And I got home and I was crying so hard and shaking so hard that Chris just like held, like standing, hugging me, holding me in our kitchen. Like you're going to be okay. It's going to be, he is going to be okay. It is going to be okay. Like, you know, you just as moms, you give everything to your child and then when any- anything is wrong, you are you lose hours of your life, n- nights, you can't sleep, you're consulting Dr. Google, you're reaching out to experts, you're doing all the things to try to get to the bottom of how you can remedy the situation.
0: Of course, of course. I can't imagine what that must have been like. So obviously you had a lot on your plate to work through personally in your new role um did you really look to your how how did you look to your community to support you beyond you know the obvious of your family did you have friends how how could they show that they supported you what what helped you through that
1: yeah you know it's really interesting um looking back uh mommy and me was really supportive of me like my friends were amazing and everyone I mean came out of the woodwork and wrote letters and sent flowers and they really i think really showed up in a way that if we just had a regular healthy labor and delivery um, which I'd rather not have had the flowers and the of outpouring course. of love yeah. <laughs> um, uh, uh, to, to, but it, it is part of our story. And Chris and I talk about how it really, like you said, it was a fire starter for us as being parents. It set all these boundaries for us. Like this is the most important thing in the whole world. And like, how do we, how do we build a wall around our little family and protect it? And um, uh, but Mommy and me was really interesting because I think in a world where everyone's on social media and sharing their highlight reel and their beautiful delivery and the things that are going well, you know, no one is showing I'm hand expressing in my hotel room or in my hotel room, like in my late postpartum room by myself without my baby. Hey, now this is me w- waddling in a diaper down the hallways of CHLA, knowing that I'm ripping stitches because... I don't have a wheelchair here and I need to walk from the parking lot to my child's NICU room knowing that, you know, like I will do whatever it takes to get to him and you know that there were just like parts of that story you're just not you're not sharing. I think people nowadays are sh- are more open to sharing like I think the younger generations because they grew up with social media. I didn't grow up with social media. Like I Facebook was around when I was in college. MySpace, maybe in high school. Facebook in college. Instagram wasn't until, I don't know, it was like, I don't, you would know, 2015 or 2016. Yeah. Yeah. and <laughs> I thought it was a photo editing app. I didn't know it was, that it was <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that I was like sharing things with the world. Um, so to to be so open, even though I'm really an open book, like on podcasts with my girlfriends, to be open about that. Um, I don't know when no one's doing it, didn't feel like something I would do, but what mommy and me provided was a group of women that one had postpartum one broke her hip during labor. One had to go back to work at four weeks. Like we all had our story and it was the place that was a safe space to say, this is what's like not going right. Or this is what I went through, or this is what, how my perspective has changed. And um, it is, I think, human nature to share those kinds of stories in a very, in a more intimate gathering or in a smaller space than it is to be like, "Hey, a hundred thousand people, Yes. here's a absolutely. picture of me in my diaper."
0: <laughs> you know? And it's a huge difference too. I, I did a mommy and me as well called baby group, and they are still my closest, you know, mom friends. And there's something really different about these groups that are organized around women who have all given birth within you know, a one to two month period. So you're always in these very similar situations. Of course, children develop differently, but all those feelings are so raw and real in the moment. And of course, they diminish and change into something else as the motherhood journey progresses. But there is something so important about having that, that group and that village. And so going through all that, you worked through the trauma, you had this incredible group. How did you
1: relate to yourself differently as a mom? Yeah, you know, what's really interesting is I do think... I mean, I like to tell a story to myself about this story. Like I do try to find the silver lining and all the things that I go through. I think it makes me feel resilient. It makes me feel in control. I don't know. It's like just a human nature thing for me. So looking at how Chris and I parented together, um, after Bash's bash was born, um, was completely different. Like we really took the time to be with bash. We both, you know, really focused on him and and our parenting of him and I think you can see it on the back end like he's really verbal and he's really happy he's really willing to like he just he's just an open little book and um I don't know I just feel like we put a lot into him and you know cared enough to read all the parenting books and like try yeah. to try to figure it out you know and um we might have been busy if we hadn't gone through that not that we would have been too busy to be his parent but we wouldn't have felt that same strong calling. And then in my work life, I don't know, I think if I would have had this like really easy, natural birth with my doula I got to the hospital, birth the baby, I might have said like anyone can do it. And and yeah, anyone can do it, but when you say that, you're expecting others to th- you know, you're setting this expectation of others that it may, may not be their destiny to have a natural birth. It may be their destiny to schedule a C-section, and that needs to be okay. And yeah. so, um, as my career progresses, I'm in it. You know, I'm at a decade now of like seeing clients, and what I've seen, how I've progressed in um, working with clients, is less about this is right and that's wrong or the science tells us this is right and that's wrong. And I think that my birth story really changed what I look, what is, what I view or what I label as right and wrong in the pregnancy space, in the mom space, and the rearing of children's space in general. Um, And and that's what I think being a mom is. It's just making you more understanding, more empathetic, um, and really trying to listen more. Like, what are you going through how can I meet you where you are? How can I support you to get through? Cuz we all have our seasons. It may not be your pregnancy, it may not be your birth, it may be when your kids in high school, you know? Maybe in adolescence, it may be when they're older. You may need to help them through a divorce. Like I don't know, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It's going to be painful no matter where you are in the process. Um and so I just I think I'm way less rigid than I ever was. Um and really open to helping my clients find innately what's right for them and helping them find why that is quote unquote, right. Mm-hmm.
0: It's beautiful how you took so much of what you learned from that experience and where you were able to bring that into your career life, your relationships. And that's, what's so neat about motherhood. You know, you don't realize that you're, you're learning these massive lessons and more about yourself than you ever thought you could ever learn by these little people that don't know anything. Right. I know, <laughs> Amazing. I know. Amazing.
1: You're so, sweet. so
0: how did you build a mindset to approach a second pregnancy? I-, I was really scared of birth, especially after my first, I didn't have an experience like yours. I had a, a very different experience, but it left me feeling very, very afraid of the pain um, and the postpartum period which I believe is the hardest part of pregnancy is the fourth trimester. Like, how did you, how did you accept that? You know, how, how did you decide that? Okay. I'm open to having another baby. I'll explore this, you know, go through this again. What did you do to
1: get there? Yeah. um, Well, so I did do talk therapy for about six months and I did feel like, wow, I just don't feel like I'm getting to the core of this issue. And that's when I did um, I got a referral from Elise, who was the, um, editor at Goop at the time. Um, and she introduced me to Dr. Will and I went and had a session with him. It it was about 90 minutes and, um, I got to tell my birth story and traumatic release therapy is he's holding the space for you to actually release. And I didn't realize how many tears were behind, I think I was going to therapy and talking about it in the way that I talked about it here. It kind of depends on the day I'll tell the story and sometimes I'll break right open and be bawling on a podcast. And sometimes I can almost separate myself from the story, but that separation is how you protect yourself from feeling. But when we do that, we don't process. And so for me, Dr. Will, you sit there and you tell the story and I told the story and I'm walking through like a moment by moment, second by second. And he's like, when you start to feel emotional or you start to feel like there might be tears or there might be like anger, or you might need to breathe heavier, or you might need to process something. I want you to stay in that. And he plays a musical instrument. It's in like ancient Indian musical instrument. I don't remember the name of it, um, but it's he's playing this instrument. And when you start to get a little bit teary, he actually gets louder so that, because I think it's uncomfortable for people to make verbal noises, whether it's like you're in labor and you're moaning or you're wanting to cry about something. And so he gets really loud and he says, I don't want you to stop. I want you to continue to cry for as long until you feel like you've emptied your tank kind of. And it was so crazy because I started this feels, and you know me. You've known me for yeah, a long time, yeah, like that. Yeah, super woo. Like it, super woo woo. Of course, like I'm just like, okay, sit in this room and ball your eyes out while you play this instrument. <laughs> I am not kidding you. Like I started. I think I just was like. I was done talking about it. And I just was like, I, I was willing to search for anything to make myself feel safer or better about having another child. And so I started to cry and then I started to bawl. And then I started to feel like I was crawling out of my skin. I stood up, I took my boots off. I had to unbutton the top of my mom jeans. I had to shake my hands and walk around. Like I was like, I have goosebumps listening to this. crying, kind of like, just like, couldn't catch my breath hyperventilating. And then I'd catch my breath and he'd be like, that's, it could just take a seat. Let's keep going. And then he would just kind of like, he said very few words. I mean, like for the whole session, I think he maybe said like three sentences, um, but it was, I th- think it was like, you get to this breaking point. And what's interesting is so he facilitates. He works with a MAPS program, which is psychedelics to process PTSD. He's certified as a practitioner. He's very, one of the very few. He's involved in the research. You actually can see him on the Goop and Health episode. So he is the physician on that episode. Um, he. Uh, but what hap- what basically is happening? It what happens when you take psychedelics and process an old memory or trauma is you have you like you're free to release and so i think because i am kind of an open book yeah um, Yeah. he's like the process of this is i would work with someone and we do a couple of these sessions and they tell me how much like if they feel better if they still are having these pain points and this trauma that feels like it's in their body then then there's a chance to explore psych like um you know controlled psychedelics under his um in his specific work and so I kind of got to this place where I was like, I'll try the talk thing and see like how this works. Tell my story. I left that appointment feeling like 90% better. You're kidding me. Like one session. I felt lighter. I felt, like free of like so much pain and anxiety, like in certain points when I would leave Sebastian to like go work or to go see a client or to be at an event, especially an event when someone's like, Hey, come support us. We're having this party about our brand or whatever. And I'd be like all about that prior to kids. Like I will be at every one. And then when everything happened with bash, I was really worried. Like it's hard. It was hard for me to leave him. Like who would like, you know, you just to
0: rationalize it. going to something that isn't,
1: absolutely vital right
0: yeah i can only imagine
1: so ultimately like i remember leaving and being like he's with colleen that was his nanny at the time um and chris was writing at that at that period of time but you know he was at that point bash was um like 12 or 13 months old so it was like right after the year point where i'm like okay i'm starting to think about maybe a second child but i'm also carrying all this stuff around with me all day And i remember leaving being like okay um I think I'm going to get myself a tea and then go home where in my past life, I would be like, I'm driving home right now. I'm taking over. Like, it's just like, take a beat. And I felt so calm and so relaxed and I um, was going to do another session with him just to be like, okay, I think like, I feel like amazing. I don't know that I need another one, but like, let's get put some insurance on this. Um, (laughs) and then, COVID happened and I texted, um, I got pregnant on St. Patrick's day with Toshin, and I found it on my best friend's birthday and we had a, we had an appointment in like April. And so the world shut down with COVID and I ended up emailing him and I'm like, well, the world's kind of shut down. So you're probably not seeing people. And also I'm pregnant. So I think I'm okay. (laughs) Here
0: we are. Well, what an amazing experience though, to see that actually work. Because yeah. we hear about a lot of these alternative practices and they sound really interesting and promising, but the fact that it was able to provide such a huge release for you and also what serendipitous timing that you got pregnant right after and were able to take that into your pregnancy is so amazing.
1: Yeah. Wow. I, think, I don't think things, That's like I said, really I think neat. things happen for a reason. So um, I think my body was like ready to get pregnant, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. So now you're a mom of two. Your second, Tashin. I love that name. It's such a cool name. Your kids have the coolest names.
1: Thank you. Um, how old is he now? He's so he'll be a year on
0: Thanksgiving. And you had a bit smoother of a delivery with him, is that right? Yeah.
1: So <laughs> I decided not to have a birth plan. Um, okay. <laughs> I told my doctor. You know, she was like, "Look, based on your." past pregnancy, you probably will go late. We can wait for you to go into labor naturally, or I can induce you. And you can have a little bit more control around when you're going to have this child. And I am going to track you because I know your anxieties are gonna be high. We're gonna do um, fetal stress tests. Um, two times a week in the last few weeks of your pregnancy, basically it was like at the 36 week mark, she started doing twice a week fetal monitoring. And in the very end, um, cause I ended up having being induced with Tasha in a few days before 38 weeks. Um, and sh- she started doing it like every other day because he was having, when you look at fetal stress tests, um, hash marks, um, a lot of times indicate like a cord is wrapped like there's some clamping happening. She's like, I'm getting some hash lines on your fetal monitoring that I don't love, which she explained to me as basically as indicator that there may be some tugging, some pulling, some twisting, some knots in a rope. Um, and I was like, you know, I, if the baby is cooked, I am ready to bring him into the world. <laughs> so <Yes. laughs> love that approach. <laughs> So she was like, great, let's do it. And, um, and, and, and she was like, she was just like, I'll let you know when the time it, when I feel uncomfortable with a stress test, otherwise we'll schedule you for, um, it was going to be Friday or Saturday. It was like my 38 week. And I ended up being induced the Tuesday before my induction date. Um, and that's because she just didn't love the stress test. And Toshin came out and he had, a very short cord. And so that oh, wow. was was happening. So, um, Attention. okay. It was less than six inches and it wow. was super fat. It was like a garden hose. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But, um, which if you see pictures uh, of him, you're like, he was getting all the food. All the food. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. It was my little, my smush, my chunky oh, smush. God. Um, but it's things like that where, um, where you, I just wanted a doctor in my corner to be the doctor I didn't want I think a lot of times when I work with doctors they say oh Kelly what do you want and I'm like well I want a metabolic panel and I want a cardiovascular panel and yeah like, well, tell them. I throw c-reactive protein on there and interleukin-6 and they're like I don't really normally call for these inflammatory markers and I'm like that's cool just add them on to my quest test you know like <laughs> I'm, that, I'm that person and so what ends up being what it becomes ends up being a collaborative relationship as opposed to the doctor telling me what's up. And I think that sometimes you most of the time you want a collaborative relationship, but I needed for my second pregnancy for the for my doctor. And I have Dr. Carmardi, and she delivered Kobe's babies, and she's like amazing, like, just. I want to call her just like a badass, you know? And like, she just was like, This is what we're doing. Now you're going to Hogue. You're going to deliver this baby. And if this doesn't happen by this period of time, I might take you to the OR. And I was like, Okay. And right. in my we past life, play. yeah, in my past <laughs> life, I would have been like, Heck no, I'm not going to that hospital. And, but I just needed to feel safe. And I ended up getting induced. And, um, and it was great. I went from three centimeters to ten centimeters in forty-five minutes, and I pushed twice. Good. <laughs> yeah. you know, your story is
0: so full of hope because it just shows that first of all, everyone has the most insane birth stories, yeah. and we all have very different birth stories. And just because one baby arrived one way doesn't mean the other baby will make the same debut. Right. And you know, also just a story of resiliency. I mean, you worked through some really gnarly stuff. (laughs) pretty heavy. (laughs) Um, So before we wrap up, I want to just talk a little bit more about how you kind of nurture yourself. You know, you are still the amazing Kelly. You have so many interesting facets about you, your business, your family. Um, But how do you find time to nurture you between having a job that probably you know, creeps into so much of your personal life. How do you make time for yourself and what do you do that fills your cup?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I think boundaries are super important. Um, and I think as a mom, we continue. And as you have multiple children, you continue to learn what your boundaries need to be and you strengthen those boundaries year after year. You also redefine good. So what looked like a good workout before kids might've been 60 minutes of soul cycle followed by an earth bar smoothie and a walk home by myself. And what my workouts look like now are, Hey, can you get 20 minutes in on the Peloton or the tonal? Can you do the set of stairs after you drop off Sebastian at school and you get that 30 or 45 minutes to yourself? And that needs to be like, high five yourself. You are so pumped on that workout. Not like, oh, well, it wasn't a whole hour. Like we're redefining good to feel really good about the effort and the work that we're doing so that we can get consistent. So for me, it it isn't like um, all or nothing anymore and everything is a lot smaller. Like um, I have some pretty strategic things uh, like my Fab Four smoothie, breaking my fast with protein that are really strategic for me doing, eating a little cleaner or having balanced blood sugar the rest of the day. But For example, when I hear people say, oh, this is my morning routine every single morning, I'm telling you, um, the clients that I have that have a morning routine that is, quote unquote, unstoppable, it's either A, a male who is not required to take care of their children and their job is considered the primary breadwinning role. And so they automatically get the ability to wake up, have their coffee, get their workout, you check their emails and head off to work to have this perfect start. That's uh, be nice. <laughs> yeah, or it's a female client that has the support systems in place where her trainer is showing up before her kids get there, and she has someone you know that she has more support and help to be able to do that, or a supportive husband even that is like, I got the kids while you do your workout, and so that's my situation is I got the kids. For you, and then you have to get the kids for me in these. That's in, very in fair. And very early smart. Morning hours. So for yeah. me, we trade off. I have Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning. Chris gets Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday morning. And it is not that we aren't all together with that first cup of coffee or that like right in the morning. But six a.m. to seven a.m. We're kind of all together, and then seven a.m. to eight a.m. is like you go, go work out, get your shower in. Um, because we realized in our family that 50% of the time feeling like you've put yourself together and you're feeling in control or like you have a good start to your day is better than zero.
0: Yeah. That's such a good point and such a cool way to divide it. I love that. And it's nice that it's kind of during regular hours, you know, rather than waking up at 5am and making that your you time. That's really neat. So you guys have each three days a week. And then I'm guessing the, the seventh day is your day to be family and just chill.
1: Yeah. And you know what we do? Um, we do spend a lot of time together on the weekends too. Um, but it is like Saturday morning and maybe Saturday morning for Chris, or it may be when Sebastian takes his nap. It's kind of like, when can Chris sneak away and his workout as a surf? Um, and so he can be in the water, surf and be back in like an hour, an hour and a half. And I'm, I'm, like I protect his private personal self time because then I get it in return. And we're constantly saying like, how can I help you get some private time or some personal time or some alone time? Because what ends up happening, especially as entrepreneurs is we get up, we do the coffee, we do the breakfast, we do the thing, we start our work day. Then we get home and we do the the playtime because we're like, we've been gone all day or we've been working. So let's play really hard. And here's the dinner and here's the bedtime. And then if you want to work out, Alex, or you want to take care of yourself, you're either getting back on your computer and doing your y- doing some follow-up work and checking back in, or you're deciding that's the period of time where you're gonna shop for clothes for your kids or oh yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. like um, <laughs> kind of do all the things that you need to do. And it's at the end of the day when you're so gassed and exhausted that it doesn't really set the tone for the day. And so that was like one of one of the best things that we started doing. And it doesn't happen a hundred percent of the time, but if we can hit it 80% of the time we're just better people for it. So That's huge. That's how I we're love doing
0: that. it. I think that's great. It's always awesome to hear people's routines and how they're fitting it all in and just taking care of themselves because I think it's really easy, especially as as moms and you know, we both have our own businesses to get kind of caught up exclusively in those worlds and we forget, wait a minute, I have to take care of myself too and I'm only going to be better in my other roles if I can take care of myself. So before we wrap up, um, I would love for you to just share, you know, what is your best piece of advice for holding space as a mom? You know, how, how do you nurture yourself? What is your best advice to our listeners to just support themselves as women first?
1: Yeah, I think you just have to have the time to check in with yourself. And, um, so this was, I actually had a therapist on my podcast recommend this, and it was a check-in with your husband that's scheduled on the calendar and it's every other Sunday for 20 to 30 minutes. And that makes this open communication not feel like, Hey, I'm really upset about the fact that you loaded the dishwasher wrong or this happened or that happened. Um, but you just have this space to talk about things that you want and things that you want to change. So it is like, because we don't even think about like how we're feeling and what we need no. and what we want, but you have this little appointment with yourselves or you set a phone alarm for it and you're like, okay. And that's actually what came out of those conversations was that Chris and I, even though we are cancers and we love to be together and like be a family and a unit and like um, that we both needed to protect our alone time, that, that Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday schedule came out of that, that little appointment that we have together, what also came out of that was that, you know, I needed to schedule some body work because my hip's been hurting literally since <laughs> Dawson was born. And was I tell my forcing. clients to take care yeah. of themselves. And I'm like the old lady with the broken hip jumping on a Peloton and doing like my workouts and being like, I'm okay. I'm okay. No, like what's coming up for you. What do you want? What do you want to change? Um, and that's a really special place to manifest, to talk about, When in, you know, over the holidays, what do you envision those days looking like? You know, what do you want? Like, because that's also how you start really honing into your boundaries of, do we want to start celebrating Christmas at home with our family? And how much of the day are we protecting? And then when are we inviting the in-laws and my parents in, or, you know, are we just saying yes to the invitation to go somewhere every single hour of those couple days? You know, so that. Little check in um, has been something that we implemented um, right at the end of my pregnancy with Toshin, and it's it's a game changer because you don't think about yourself and you don't talk about to no. create that life without those uh-huh. check ins. I
0: love that, and it allows you to be so much more intentional with your life. It sounds like you really are in the driver's seat rather than just reacting and responding.
1: Very much in the passenger seat a lot, but, um, but I, tr- you know, I think the set point is like, Oh, this is gonna be easy. I'm going to get in the passenger seat. I'll just go with the flow. Yeah. I'll take that call at that time. I'll say yes to that at that time. The minute you start to really work on the boundaries, you just keep learning to put yourself back in the driver's seat. That's huge. Well,
0: I loved our chat. This was so awesome. I can't thank you enough for taking the time and just getting real about your whole story and sharing all of that. And I adore you. I do too. You're the smartest. Um, And thank you so much again. And um, everyone, you can find Kelly on Instagram at Kelly Levesque. And be sure to check her out on her website uh, at bewellbykelly.com. Thanks for tuning in to Parallel Lives. Stay tuned for new episodes. And be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you like today's show, we'd be forever grateful if you take a moment to rate and review us. You can find us online at parallelhealth.com. That's P E R E L E L health.com or on Instagram at parallelhealth. I'm Alex Taylor, and you've been listening to Parallel Lives. Thanks so much for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by Parallel. We are a prenatal vitamin and supplement solution that adapts to your changing body's needs throughout your motherhood journey. All of our products offer the highest quality, bioavailable ingredients at doctor recommended doses, tailored to each unique phase, preconception, first trimester, second trimester, third trimester, and postpartum and beyond. Because your prenatal vitamin shouldn't be one size fits all. Sign up for our newsletter at parallelhealth.com to learn more.